Good morning. As Matt said, my name's Rebecca. I'm the Park Kids Coordinator here, as well as I get to be the new high school group coordinator, which is really exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to all that that will bring. Um, I know a lot of you. Some of you I know really well. Some of you know me because I work with your kids, so you refer to me mostly as Miss Becca, and that's totally okay. Some of you only see me speed walking up and down the hallways on Sunday mornings, trying to make sure that everything is taken care of. And some of you I just met today or I've yet to meet. No matter how long I've known you or how well I know you, I'm really excited and thankful that I have this opportunity to bring this message to you. When Matt first approached me about it in the office, I was a little bit nervous. Um, but after I took some time and I prayed about it, I knew that this is where God was calling me. At that point, we were in the middle of a series and we were looking at who we are and who we are created to be. We were talking about how we are created to be God's children. We are created to be his missionaries, his servants, and we are all a part of God's family. And I was thinking about that and talking about it with my own family and my community group and my friends, and I came to realize that we are all defined by something. And so I want to start today with a story of when I was young and what defined me. But really it's a story of who, not what, because I was defined by my older sister, Caitlin. A lot of younger siblings fight to get out of the shadow of their older siblings. They strive to set themselves apart, to be free, to be very different people. If you want an example of this, just look at my five-year-old Jacob, and you will very clearly see they want nothing to be like their older siblings. My nine-year-old loves to read. Jacob says he doesn't want to go to kindergarten because he doesn't want to learn how to read. They fight every step of the way to not be like their older siblings. I, however, was not that kid. It was in Caitlin's shadow that I thrived. It was there that I felt comfortable, I felt secure, and it was there that I came to define myself. I was Caitlin's little sister, her twin, her mini-me. I did everything that she did. This started out when I was very young, like two or three years old and learning how to talk. I decided that I was only going to talk to Caitlin. Um, so not only was I very stubborn, I was also pretty shy and quiet. So I would only talk to my sister, and it was through that that I actually came to find my voice. Of course, it wasn't actually my voice, it was hers, but you get what I mean. She spoke for me. It was who she was that I became who I was. I got to elementary school and the battles began, whether NSYNC or Backstreet Boys were better, and I stood my ground saying that Spice Girls reign supreme. <laughs> Not because I actually believed it or I even cared at all, but because Caitlin did, and it was important to her. As I got older, I really developed a love for Lisa Frank binders and pogs and hanging out at the mall with my friends. They weren't actually my friends, they were Caitlin's friends. I didn't really spend time with people my own age. But this went past what I liked and what I didn't like, my fashion sense and my music taste. It was really something that was much deeper. It was hard to define. It was a connection and a relationship. She was my confidant. She was the one person I knew I could always trust and who would always be there for me. 
She was that safe haven through the transitions that my family went to. She was my refuge in the hard things that we faced as a family. She was my safety net. What she experienced, I also experienced to the point that sometimes as an adult, I'll be telling a story and I'll realize it's not actually my story. It actually happened to Caitlin, but what she felt, I felt so deeply, it became a part of who I am. Her mannerisms and her characteristics became mine because I was so clearly focused and my eyes were fixed on who Caitlin was. However, at that point between elementary school and middle school, everything changed. My sister moved two hours away to live with my dad and my stepmom. My earth was shattered. Everything changed. And while I could talk to her during the week a bit and we could talk, see each other every other weekend, there was no substitution for her physical presence. I was completely lost. Not that I'm driving to the top of a mountain expecting to find a retreat center and I find a trailer and a lamppost type of lost. That happened and that's a story for a different time. But it was a real deep sense of being lost. Without Caitlin's shadow to hide in, I had to look at who I was for the first time. I had to face the realities of life without a barrier to protect me. I had no idea what direction to go in. I had no clear path to follow. I didn't know who I was, who I was supposed to be, or who I wanted to become. Have you ever felt lost like this? Anxious and fearful? For some of you, that feeling of lostness might have come from a similar situation to mine. It could have been because you had lost a loved one, whether it was through distance or death or a broken relationship that friendship was no longer there. It may have been something completely different. It could have been a realization that what you thought was a fundamental truth was actually a lie. Maybe it was a change in your circumstances, the loss of a job, the beginning of a new job, a move to a new place where you felt unsure and insecure. Whatever it was that made you feel lost, it's a feeling we can all relate to either because we've felt it ourselves or because someone we know and love, we've watched them go through it. Or maybe we're currently watching someone go through that fear and confusion with being lost. In today's Bible story, it comes from the book of Luke, which is one of the four books in the Bible that directly tells us about Jesus's life here on earth. And we're gonna hear about a story of a man who was also lost and just like I did, he knew it. Oh, I'm so glad that worked. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 says, uh, he entered Jericho and was passing through it. That, that is not verse 1. I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to figure that out. Okay, it says, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. There we go, verse two. Maybe I have it wrong. Either way, we got it. Thanks, Tom. Okay, so this is how the story starts. We learn something right here. Zacchaeus was rich, but we also learn that he was a tax collector, which means that we know he got his money through unsightly means. He gouged people out of their money. 
Uh, he was a tax collector, so he worked for the Roman government, which was hated. And he was told by Rome, I want you to get, say, $100 from each person. So he would go, and instead of getting $100, or even $110, so he could have a pretty modest income, he would get maybe $200 or $300. He would make himself rich at the expense of others. He would allow himself to live this lavish lifestyle while others went without. I was talking to my nine-year-old Luke about this. You know, he wanted to know what I was spending all this time working on and what I was going to talk about. And we got to this point in the story, and he was like, oh, like in Robin Hood. And I just was like, yes, just like in Robin Hood. Now, all of our Robin Hood knowledge comes from the Disney's version of Robin Hood. So if you haven't seen that, I'm really sorry. I don't know what your Robin Hood knowledge is. Um, but in that story, there's Prince John. and use your imagination with me a little bit he is rome he's not the government that the people want but he is there and he's in control and then there's the sheriff of nottingham who's like zacchaeus he goes out and he does the bidding of the rich and the powerful prince or in this case government he allows himself to benefit off the difficulties of others this idea helps us to know something else that's true about tax collectors. They weren't very well liked. Think about the first time you saw Robin Hood. No matter how young you were, when the sheriff of Nottingham goes and takes the birthday money from the little rabbit Skippy, or he takes that last coin from the giving box in the church, you get angry, right? You know that that is not a nice person, it is not the right thing to do, and he shouldn't be doing it, no matter how young you are. And so that's that feeling that people had towards Zacchaeus. It's really a fair inference to make. One of my favorite children's Bibles is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Remember, I work with kids. I live in this world. Um, but the, when you get to the story of Zacchaeus, it is called The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends. None. <laughs> yeah, we laugh because that's not where we're at in life. But imagine that. Like, it gives a very clear picture of how unliked Zacchaeus was. The story continues. And the next verse tells us he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So we're starting to get a little bit of a fuller picture here of Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, um, so he was short. It also could mean that short means small, and small in stature could have meant that he was a young man. But either way, whether he was short or he was young or he was a mix of both, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that he was trying to see Jesus, but the crowd got in the way. If he was a person that they liked or respected, they would have made room for him. Think about it. You go to a parade, you're with your friends and family, you make sure everybody can see. Out of general human decency, you make sure that the complete strangers that are around you can see. But that was not the case. The crowds knew who Zacchaeus was, but they did not step aside for him. The next verse tells us what he did. He took action. It says, so he ran ahead 
and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, meaning Jesus, because he was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, but he couldn't. So he took the steps that he needed to do to be able to. Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a tree. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it actually really would have been for Zacchaeus. Men, especially men of position, but men in general in that time, they are not running and they probably aren't even thinking about climbing a tree. But Zacchaeus did both in sequential order. Any little bit of respect that he might have had, he completely lost. He took action in order to see Jesus. He knew what prevented him from his mission of finding and seeing Jesus, so he found a solution. He took steps, no matter what it cost him. So the question has to be asked, what prevents you from seeing Jesus? What prevents you from seeing Jesus? In this story, right, it's pretty obvious, the crowds prevent Zacchaeus. They are a physical barrier for Zacchaeus. And sometimes people can be our barriers as well, but it's not always in a physical sense. Maybe sometimes we are so governed by the things that people have done to us that we're not able to see all that just Jesus has done for us. Or maybe we are so wrapped up in trying to make a bad relationship work that we aren't able to enter into a good one with Jesus. There are also things in this story that could have prevented Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. He could have allowed his pride to get in the way and not run ahead. He could have allowed fear that people would think even less of him to stop him from running ahead and climbing that tree. Zacchaeus could have allowed the expectations of others to be a certain person to stop him. He could have allowed this idea that he had to be self-sufficient and just rely on himself to prevent him from seeing Jesus. But perhaps for you it's not pride, and it's not people-pleasing. Maybe for you it's doubt that prevents you from seeing Jesus. Maybe it's your judgment of yourself or others that prevent you from seeing Jesus. Maybe it's your priorities and the way that you view your time that prevents you from seeing Jesus. Maybe it is anger that you have and you hold on to because of the past or even present situations that you face in life. Maybe it is the constant blame that you place on others or on God that prevents you from seeing Jesus. I could stand up here all day and list things that could prevent you from seeing Jesus. The list would be endless. But we are called, just like Zacchaeus was, to take steps so that we can see Jesus. So what are those steps for you? What do you need to change? Or what do you need to do to be able to see Jesus? Take it from me. This can be completely overwhelming. I know that. I live that. It can mean letting people around you see the real you, doubts and all. It could mean removing yourself from a bad relationship 
or situation that's come to feel comfortable and safe. It could be admitting that you need help or are angry. It could mean taking steps to fix a bad relationship, taking those steps towards reconciliation. It can be as simple or as difficult as changing the way that you use your time so that you have more opportunities to encounter Jesus. Whatever the steps are that you need to take, it will be hard. But as we see in the rest of Zacchaeus' story, it will be worth it. So let's look at the rest of the story. Remember, Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and he's hiding, and he's just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And the story tells us when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Zacchaeus's shoes. You have no friends, none. You are not liked. You are not respected. You've just lost any chance of being respected because you ran ahead and you climbed a tree. You are hiding and you are called down from your hiding place and suddenly you have become a part of Jesus's agenda. It is so beautiful to think about. Every time I thought about this and prayed about this or practice saying it, I got goosebumps all over again because it's so beautiful, that picture. And so we know a little bit of what Zacchaeus did next. It says, so he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. I mean, come on, that's like the understatement of the century. Like Zacchaeus was probably so excited and joyful and exuberant and a little bit confused and befuddled, but mostly excited. Like, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming to my house. And in the midst of all of this excitement that Zacchaeus is feeling, there are the crowds. Remember them? The crowds that were all around him. And the, it, the story continues and says, all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. They didn't like Zacchaeus. He wasn't a good person. Remember, he's like the sheriff of Nottingham. They don't like him. He's not respected. He worked for Rome, and so he is their enemy. But Jesus, this man who they had heard so much about, who they had been hearing all the good things that he was doing, who had been performing miracles, was going to go to his house, was going to have a meal with him, talk to him, get to know him, build a relationship with him? How do you think those crowds were feeling? Imagine, if you will, one more time, you are a person who lives in Nottingham. You've been cheated out of your money, out of your resources. You've been treated badly. And then you hear about this guy, Robin Hood. He steals from the rich and he gives to the poor. He's like an all-around nice guy. And you hear he's coming to Nottingham and you're like, yes, that is awesome. And you see him walking up to the sheriff of Nottingham and you're like, yeah, he's going to go, what's up? And he goes and he's like, hey, come on. I want to get to know you. 
I want to talk to you. Like, I get kind of angry thinking about it. It's so not fair. It is so not right. They didn't think that Zacchaeus was worth stepping aside for. But Jesus went out of his way to talk to him. Now, I imagine there's someone in the crowd who's a little bit like me and gets a little bit closer and grumbles a little bit louder. Hey, he's a sinner. Like, right? Like, I, I, I could see that. That's what I would do. Um, but look, Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. Jesus knew what Zacchaeus did. And most importantly, he knew what Zacchaeus needed and who Zacchaeus was created to be. Zacchaeus may have been hoping to see Jesus, but the reality is that Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus. And in that moment, that moment of being seen and known, something fundamentally shifted for Zacchaeus. And we're told that Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the, the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Once Zacchaeus fixed his eyes on Jesus, he not only saw that he was meant for far greater things than riches, but also that the people around him were more, far more than he ever thought. He changed who he was, what he did, or at least how he did it, right then and there. So whatever the steps are that you need to take, whatever change you need to make, whatever barriers you need to begin to start taking down, start today. Whatever it is that's stopping you from seeking Jesus and becoming who you were created to be, who God sees you to be, start today to take those steps. Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus, and therefore his sight, the way he viewed himself and others, was also fixed. And we have that same opportunity. And if that's not a good enough ending to the story, there's more. It goes on and it says, and then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Man, he is part of God's family. He has been rescued because he saw who Jesus was. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Zacchaeus was redefined because he saw Jesus. Zacchaeus hid in the shadows, but he was brought into the light. I want to come back to the story of me when I was a young girl. And I felt like the rug was just ripped out from under me and my whole world was crumbling around me and I was completely lost and utterly alone. 
my story ends the same way that Zacchaeus' did, being found and saved by Jesus. I wish I could tell you that I had the one moment of transformation that I saw Jesus and my whole life changed, but that wasn't my story. It took many years for me to really begin to see who Jesus was and who I was. However, along the way, no matter how many barriers I put up, no matter how lost I became, even when I wasn't looking for Jesus, I was seen and loved by him. Over and over and over again, he came and he reminded me of what truly defines me. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, and when we come alongside others to help us take down what prevents us from seeing Jesus, we begin to not only see who we were created to be, but who others were created to be also. It is an effort sometimes. It is an effort for us sometimes to see Jesus. There are things internal or external that can prevent us from seeing him. And while it might take an effort on our part to take those steps, and there might be some setbacks, and you might feel like you're failing, it is always important to remember that it is effortless for Jesus to see us, both as we are and as the people we are created to be, found in him and by him. Now that is good. That is good news, right? But what do we do with that? There's some practical applications that we can take from this as well. For some of you, it might be going home to remember and begin to believe for the first time or again that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you where you are. Jesus loves you for who you are. Jesus loves you in spite of who you are. It might be beginning to allow yourself to see who you are in the light of who Jesus made you to be, a dearly loved child of God. For others of you, it might be going home and choosing to see others the way that Jesus did and making them a part of your agenda the way that Jesus made Zacchaeus a part of his. It might mean loving people even when they aren't well-liked. It might mean seeing other people's worth even when the world sees them as worthless. And for others of you, it might mean going home and taking time to think and pray about what prevents you from seeing Jesus and then taking the steps that you need to take in order to see and fix your eyes on Jesus. And then once you've figured out those steps, it means going to somebody else and admitting to them what those steps are and what prevents you from seeing Jesus and then allowing them to come alongside you and hold you accountable as you take this walk and pray with you. Maybe you need their help even just to see what prevents you from seeing Jesus or what steps you need to take, but welcome somebody else into this journey. Either way, whatever one of these is true for you, start today to take the steps you need 
to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because no matter which one of those you fit into, the truth is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are found. We are redefined by his love, which it reaches us no matter how lost we are, no matter how unworthy we feel, and it transforms us into the people we were created to be, people Jesus chose and chooses to see hiding in the trees, hoping just to glimpse him, and he calls us to so much more. He calls us to be seen by him and changed by our interaction with him. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for who you've created us to be, for the opportunity to reflect who you are into this world. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today that they would fix their eyes more firmly on who you are so that they can see and believe and be changed by that. Lord, you are a good Father who loves us endlessly where we are, but also calls us to greater things, Father God. And I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to see what prevents us from seeing you, for the challenge of taking steps to grow and be changed. And I thank you for this community of people that we have here at Park Church so that we have people who can come alongside us and pray for us and pray with us, encourage us along this path. And Lord, when we slip and when we fall, help us to know that it is you who is there. When we lose our sight of you, help us to know that you are still looking for us and that you are calling us to greater things. In your name, amen. Thank you.